it, people will have an operated business and they, for whatever reason, aren't managing their cash very well and they find it difficult to service their debts. Mm-hmm. So whether it's paying wages, the tax department, rent, et cetera. So that's probably the number one thing we see. And that, that stems from many problems. Sometimes it can be efficiency. Sometimes it can be, you know, to cost basis too high. Sometimes it can be that we don't, we don't have enough margin in what we're selling. So we, we go in and we help them fix that up pretty quickly because, of course, we want to be paid. Welcome to the Arate Podcast, the podcast created to help senior executives and the organisations they lead live up to their full potential. Join us for cutting-edge interviews with leading senior executive and board members across all industry sectors and for practical tips to accelerate your executive career. And now, here's your host, Richard Triggs. Hi, Ben. Welcome to the Arate Podcast. Fantastic to have you along, uh, a fellow podcaster, and uh, it's uh, going to be really interesting to have a chat about that a little later in the conversation. But for the benefit of people who are listening in who are unfamiliar with you, uh, why don't we start with just tell us a bit about your current professional responsibilities. Uh, sure, Richard, and thanks for having me. I guess um, currently where I'm at is I have my own business in the business coaching and training space. Yeah, I've been in that industry since uh, 2001 and launched it as a franchise last year mm-hmm. in uh, 2018. And so I'm now a managing partner of that. And I look after all the sales and marketing of our business. And, okay. Um, you know, so that keeps me pretty busy. Okay, so when you say uh, you got into the industry in 2001, originally it was uh, under a different brand, wasn't it? Yeah, so I joined another company as a franchisee and worked in that in their in their ecosystem for uh, about 12, 13 years, mm-hmm. and that um, and that sort of led me then to developing things a lot further mm-hmm. and and enabling me to be able to build something that was I thought more comprehensive. So I thought, I mean, what they do is great, but but what I wanted to do was much uh, bigger than what they had, and so I had to make a decision to move, which was which was of course was a difficult decision, but sure. one that what what was going to pay dividends somewhere down the track. Yeah, well, I've uh, having been through that experience mm. myself, I understand. And so your, your business yes. <laughs> is, called, is called Max My Profit. Yeah, so what I wanted to do was when people typed in the name, um, I wanted them to type in something that meant something to them. And right. people get into business to make money. Let's face it, I've never heard someone say, I got into business to go broke. Mm. <laughs> So, so max my profit now. In hindsight, though, what I've noticed is a lot of people actually think uh, it's all about maxing my profit, but it's not. It's maxing your profit. <laughs> anyway, we should all make profit. Maybe you should have called it max our profit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably would have been better. Right, and uh, and so give us an idea of the sort of the scale of your business now. So we have a team of 11. Mm -hmm. There's seven of those people are business accelerators, Mm -hmm. uh, which includes myself. I'm still working with some clients, not very many, but I still do. I work with the high level clients particularly, Mm -hmm. uh, as does my business partner. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're currently doing, you know, a couple of million dollars a year. And uh, now that we're franchised, we've only just franchised, we'll be building that back up to something uh, you know, we've got some pretty audacious goals. Who knows what we'll hit? I'm a, I'm a pretty optimistic fellow. So, <laughs> And so yeah. uh, your business accelerators, the people, are they the now franchisees? 
Yeah, so I've still got um, three that are employees mm-hmm. and four that are, and I've got four franchisees. Now, the good thing about that, it means that I'm starting to open offices in other areas. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's in its early days and we're still sure. looking for great people to join, join the team. But, but we've got people now, uh, we've got one in Melbourne, we've got one in Sydney CBD. Um, our office is in the northwest of Sydney in a place called Bella Vista. So it means we're starting to spread our wings. Mm-hmm. Nobody here in sunny Queensland? Not yet, no, but no. happy if anyone's listening <laughs> to, right. uh, to start the conversation. Sure. And so tell us a little bit about the type of organisations you work with and what type of engagement and so on. Yeah, so I guess um, for us, and, and that's an interesting question, because a lot of people go, oh, you should have a niche, you should have a niche. And, and we don't have a niche. We're, we're, we don't have one particular industry we deal with. Mm-hmm. And we're not, we're not business coach. I don't like the term business coaching as such, because mm-hmm. I feel like, um, you know, anybody can be a business coach. What we've done is we've built a program called the Business Acceleration Program. And it mm-hmm. is for anybody in business that got into business you know, wanting something more than what they've currently got. And that's typically everybody that starts a business. I mean, if you, if you think about why people start a business in the first place, it is typically because they want more freedom, want to work for themselves, want to make more money, uh, want more flexibility. Yet most business owners never get there. So what we do is we target people that have jumped into this thing called business mm-hmm. and haven't got the skill set that they need to, to re- achieve the things they desire. And so our tagline is helping business owners build the business they imagined. Mm-hmm. And the, and it is really about doing that. So they imagine one thing when they start, and they end up with something completely different. And so we deal with it with, and it's typically SMEs. I mean, we do have some larger corporates we deal with because sometimes they need people inside their organisation to be helped. Mm-hmm. Um, and and if you think about a big corporation, quite often the different divisions of those are like small businesses. So you know, we might work with a particular division, uh, a manager. Uh, we find it harder because they're not as invested in it in a lot yeah. of cases, but yeah. it does, it still does. It does, you know, it, it, there is a need for it. I think, you know, mm-hmm. there's a, it's good to have someone walking yeah, I, side by side. I think the term for those sort of people is an intrapreneur, which is uh, entrepreneurial, but within an organization. Yeah. 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 Well, I believe uh, entrepreneurs can work for somebody else. Mm-hmm. So myself as an entrepreneur, yes, I own a business. So that's, mm-hmm. that's one, I guess that's one aspect. But the other aspect is I'm also an employee. So I mm-hmm. work in my business pretty much full time. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't work probably as many hours as I would if I had a job for somebody else, but mm-hmm. I still have a job. Well, I think uh, I remember reading an article that was talking about those people that we most uh, hold up as being the icons of entrepreneurship, uh, Warren Buffett, uh, Steve Jobs, et cetera. And fundamentally, they were all employees. You know, they're employed mm. by a, a corporate organization as the, the CEO. Uh, so, yeah, that, that line between owner and employee can be pretty blurred. And so are the companies that you're working with, are they largely coming to you when they're in distress or in early stage startup or is, or is it all different kinds of motivation? It's all different kinds of motivation, but what we find is that people in the beginning, their, I guess their enthusiasm and optimism stops them from coming to us because they Mm. think I've got a great idea and that's all I need. Mm. It's typically once someone has been in business for two to three years that they start to realize that, hang on a minute, this hasn't worked out as well as I was hoping. What am I missing? 
yeah. and they come across us in many ways. And some of that is through us educating them as to what they don't know. Cause mm-hmm. you don't know what you don't know until you know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's because a lot of people get into business because they have a skill uh, and they've been applying that skill elsewhere and they go, well, I may as well do this for myself. They're really, you know, uh, creating a job for themselves rather than understanding the distinction between being the doer and being the driver. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. You've hit the nail on the head. So if you're a good plumber, for example, you go and start a plumbing business, it doesn't mean you're going to be great at running your business. Now, there's nothing wrong with being self-employed, by the way, mm-hmm. except for the fact that you it's, it's high risk because if you get sick or something happens, uh, then you're in trouble. But there, you know, some people just want to be self-employed. But if you want to build a business, that's where you're building a mechanism or a machine that works without you having to work in it. Mm, that means employing people, which uh, is, uh, can be pretty scary. <laughs> <laughs> which both me and you have uh, had our experiences in. We know that it's, it's, it's a different set of skills, isn't it? Absolutely. It is. Well, look, uh, I'm really keen to, uh, you know, understand a lot more about that. But before we get there, why don't we go back to, uh, you know, where it all began for you. Tell us a little bit about, you know, where you were born in your early life and, and some of the, you know, the key milestones that led you to where you are now. Yeah, absolutely. So I was born in Sydney, Australia. My parents mm. were from England, so I'm first generation here. Me too. Uh, so, so oh, right, there you go. I think a yeah. lot of us are. So I'm, I'm a dual citizen. Mm-hmm. And I grew up on the, the lower North Shore of Sydney. And I think for me, um, you know, as I, as I grew up, I always aspired to be entrepreneurial because my, my parents always had their own business. So I think okay. that had a huge influence on me. Yeah. Right. What sort of business were uh, they in? So my dad was in the import export industry. So he would, uh, you know, have big clients like Grace Brothers, which of course I think are Maya now, I think that's what Mm -hmm. they're called. Mm -hmm. Um, But but he would import mostly in the garments to start with. So he was always uh, traveling to China and Hong Kong and Singapore and and then coming back and bringing garments back. And, um, you know, I think that's in the textile industry. Mm -hmm. And so um, the only thing I didn't like about what he did was he worked a lot of odd hours obviously because of the difference in hours, but at least I think, I think having a, a parent or parents that are in business does, um, I, I think give you a, it rubs off on, you know, as a, as a kid. And, and for me, I always looked at ways to make money from the minute I was, uh, you know, old enough to be able to do it. And I, you know, I had a paper run. I, um, I worked at Balmoral boat shed, uh, driving the tender boats and I, I would make more per hour than most adults would because of the tips that I would get through right. the way I would service the customers. And that was just by nature. So I've always been outgoing and willing to do it. The, the, I don't know. Do you remember Bob a job that used to do with scouts? or Absolutely. Cubs? I do. Yep. For sure. Yeah. And yeah. you try and work out the jobs that were the easiest to do and then we'd get the most money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I used to love Bob a job. I don't think they do it anymore. Right. You know, we've got such a cotton ball society now where you can't go knocking on doors. But I used to love that, you know, because to me, it was a way for me to make money. And then I'd buy stuff with it that made Mm. me, you know, happier or enjoy Mm. the things I enjoyed. Mm. And so that was really my my upbringing. I was Mm. never good at school. Mm. In fact, I got expelled in year three for being a a little turd. But anyway... Um, and was there a lot of conversation around the dinner table about business and, you know, were your parents sort of uh, educating and encouraging you or did you just kind of pick it up by osmosis? I don't think there was a lot of discussion, but what I do remember, and I'm, I don't remember a lot about my childhood. I remember key things. I guess right. that's that's human. Sure. But what I, what I what I do remember is encouragement. So mm. I don't know that I was encouraged to start a business. What mm. I do know was that 
if I wanted to try something, I was never told no. So, mm-hmm. you know, whether it was a sporting activity, whether it was a hobby, whether it was a, an, a business idea, if I had an idea, my parents always supported it. And I think, you know, I think that's undervalued. I think that can be undervalued. I really think that played a big part. Mm-hmm. And do you have brothers and sisters? Yeah, I've, I've got an older sister right. uh, who's completely different to me. <laughs> right. So she, did, she didn't pick up the business bug. No. So she was the more academic one. Like I, like I said, I did terrible at school. I didn't right. finish school and I left in year 10 as a panel uh-huh. beater. I went and did yep. a trade. Okay. My, my sister's got more degrees than a compass. You know, she right. spent <laughs> most of it sort of adult life at uni up until I think in her mid thirties. Okay. She's got degrees in, in all sorts of things. Uh-huh. Uh, so that could uh, cause some interesting conversation between the two of you, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, it actually doesn't. I mean, we, we get on relatively well around those things. I think that she just, res- you know, I think she just respects what I do. I respect what she does and we just get on with it. Good on you. And so uh, you started your professional life as a panel beater, no doubt doing an apprenticeship, uh, working for somebody mm. else. Yeah. And then yeah, that so led I, I, into the trucking industry, as I understand. Yeah, well, there was a year of, um, I guess, confusion in what direction I was going to go into because what happened was I, d- I actually didn't finish my paddle beating trade. I did three years of TAFE and I didn't mm-hmm. finish my fourth year of actually working on the job. Mm-hmm. And I went through going through as many jobs as there were months in the year, so 12 jobs in 12 months. Right. And I, th- I think what I discovered by the end of that year was that I didn't want to work for somebody else. That's mm-hmm. really where I where I, got. I didn't make a good employee. Mm-hmm. Um and so, I, and I did everything, you know, Richard, I did everything from uh, telemarketing for Grace Brothers Home Improvements to selling Kirby vacuum cleaners door to door. A lot of it was very sales orientated, but what I got to at the end of that was I decided I didn't want to work for somebody else. My last job in that 12 months was a, a security guard. Mm-hmm. And there was a guy that used to come in each night in a van for a company called Security Express and he would pick up documents from Harvey Norman's. They'd have a locker out the front. They wouldn't do it anymore because of obviously technology. Sure. But he, he must have been picking up the daily sales documents or KPIs or something. And I spoke to this guy and he said, look, if you buy a van, I'll get you a job. And I had my security license already. So mm-hmm. I thought, well, okay, I'm sick of this sitting in a car park all night. So I went and bought a van and rang him up and, he, and, and then he put me onto the company and they, w- they weren't hiring anybody. So here I had made this investment and bought a van right. on the promise of a job. And, and that's how I started in the, in the transport industry was right. I had a van. I didn't have a job. I thought, what am I going to do? I've got to pay for this van. So I ended up um, just contracting. Okay. And what, doing sort of general career type work? Yeah. So I was doing some general career work and I ended up uh, getting a job as a career driver contractor for one career company and then doing a little bit on the side. Mm-hmm. Um, and and to, to cut a long story short, I ended up being a radio operator for uh, a transport company, did that for several years. Mm-hmm. And that's what led me to starting my transport company. Right. Uh, my, yeah, my, my career goal was actually not to do that, but that's just where it ended up. So what, what was your goal then? So when I was a courier, uh, I used to do a lot of deliveries to a company called Hawker Pacific at Bankstead Airport, mm-hmm. uh, which is an aviation company there. And, and whenever I was there waiting for my next job, I would sit and just stare at the planes taking off and landing. So I thought I'll be a pilot. Mm. And so, of course, I went off to the Air Force and they wouldn't accept me because of my low level of education. Mm. Um, and then I 
you know, one day I was doing a delivery and there was a sign at the front of Banks and Airport that said, learn to fly $60 a week. And I mm. went, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm just going to do it. Mm. And so I signed up and I did two years of training, got my private pilot's license and then uh, went to do my commercial pilot's license, which was a different level of medical and discovered that I actually have a red green color deficiency oh, really? um, okay. for that. And that stops you from being a commercial, a captain of a, of a commercial airplane. So, mm. uh, that shattered that dream. And in a way, I'm happy because a lot of the people that I trained with don't like their job as a pilot. They don't actually get to fly. The computers do it. Um, and I, I own my own aeroplane now and, and fly for pleasure. So it's a lot, right. you know, a lot more fun. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. You know, I've just turned 50 and I remember when I was finishing school, you know, to be a pilot was, you know, it was a gravy train. You earned massive money. Mm. And, and, uh, but it's not like that anymore. In fact, uh, you know, it's a, an industry where a lot of people are exiting because there's just no money. Um, there's very low demand. It's uh, technology has completely changed the entire environment. Yeah, well, it's all about supply and demand. So the last 10 years in particular in aviation, maybe 15 years, have been really tough. Mm. Uh, but what, what we're going to see, there's, they're estimating there's going to be a huge pilot shortage in the next 10 years. So we might see that shift. Okay. So those that are doing the trading, don't, don't uh, jump off a cliff just yet. Right. <laughs> uh, and, and it is a good career. Like there's, there's no doubt that people are travelling more and more by air. I mean, mm. when I was a kid, we used to go in the back of dad's 200B station wagon to go on holidays. We didn't mm -hmm. jump in an airplane. Mm -hmm. These days, everyone's jumping in airplanes because it's so cheap to go somewhere. So there is, there is going to be a demand. I think the future for aviation looks good. The challenge we have in this country is we're such a small population that mm -hmm. it's very hard to make it affordable for people. It's a very expensive pathway mm. for someone to, to go down. I mean, to get your, get your full license and commercial and be ready to go and join an airline, you've got to spend uh, you know, over $100,000 in training. Mm. I was uh, on the ABC radio the other night and, and they were talking about this new flight from Sydney to London, 20 hours. And, uh, mm. you know, so, uh, I mean, that's going to open up the entire world far more than, uh, than it is now. It'd be very interesting to see. So uh, you're, uh, you're looking at uh, being a pilot, you end up starting a courier business. At what point did you decide that uh, being a courier business owner was uh, not all it was made up to be? Yeah. So what, so, so what happened was I was a career driver and uh, that company had an opportunity or, or somebody rang them and said, Hey, we're looking for someone to be a radio operator. And so they asked me if I was interested because I knew I was interested in getting in, into something more than just driving. And so I went for an interview, got this job and three months later, it was a big corporate company and three months later, uh, they basically said, we've got good news and bad news. The good news is we're merging with such and such. The bad news is you don't have a job anymore. Um, <laughs> So, I did, you know, I had a rough start. So I thought, what am I going to do? And I thought, well, I'm enjoying this radio operating gig. I'll, I'll go and find another job. Mm. And so I ended up getting a job for a transport company in Sydney's West. And it was probably the best thing that ever happened because the guy that owned that business, his strategy was he would build a business up over a three or four year period to be a multi-million dollar business. He would sell it and then he would take a few years off. Uh, you know, living off the, obviously the money he made from the sale mm -hmm. until his non-compete clause was over. And then he'd start another one. And he was on the fourth iteration of this and it was 11 months in and he was just looking for someone he could rely on to operate the, the, the trucks throughout the, the day. Mm -hmm. And, and it was, it was the reason I said it was so good was because number one, he was very entrepreneurial. So he became a mentor to me. And then secondly, he, he let me run it basically, you know, I was 20 something and here I was running his business for, I was 21, I think when I started working for him and um, he basically let me run his whole business. I was hiring, I was firing, I was going out doing sales. I was learning about 
you know, pretty much every aspect of the business. I was included in management meetings. I would look at budgeting and it really opened my eyes up. And I did that for four years. So it was, was something that I did for a long time. And then it got to a point where I decided I wanted more and we had made an agreement. We were going to join forces and start another company together. And then for whatever reason, uh, he decided that wasn't going to be the right fit for them. So I left, I left and started my own company. Um, you know, we made a, an agreement. We wouldn't, um, you know, try and affect each other. So there was like a no, no compete, etc. And it was a, a handshake thing. We were good mates. We still talk today. And, um, and I went into business with uh, some family members, which was you know, uh, probably the worst thing I've done in my life because it did have a detrimental effect on relationships. I hear you, brother. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I know you'd understand that. Yeah. Um, but I, and, and so, you know, it was a hard four years, a really hard four years. But I, I learned a lot about myself, about mm. people, about managing people, about, I guess, alignment between people as well because mm. – you know, when you have business partners, especially like people that are involved in your life of different age groups, expectations and requirements are different. Aspirations are different. So I learned an awful lot, you know, um, and I, I wish I knew what I know now about running a business because I could have made that a lot better than what it was. Mm. And, and when you were making that decision to transition into being owner, or even in fact, prior to that, when you were essentially this guy's COO or general manager, you know, you, you're somebody who didn't have a formal business education. You'd, you know, you'd learn through, uh, mm. uh, you know, your own hard work. But did you look at your own skill set at that time and say, boy, if I'm going to make a fist of this, I really need to upskill in certain areas? Or did you just fly by the seat of your pants? I just flew by the seat of my pants and right. it was a mis- it was a mistake. I think, you know what happened was uh, that business that I was involved in, so I was the operations manager mm-hmm. of that transport company and it was doing really well, really well. And, mm-hmm. and I felt, as a lot of employees do, that that was because of me. Right. And when I look back, yes, I played a part in it, but I was only a part of the team. There mm-hmm. was the, the, my boss who was like the day-to-day general manager there was his business partner who looked after all the financials. His name was John. He was amazing at managing the financials of the business to the point where you know, he, he had his finger on the pulse like you wouldn't believe it. I, had, I don't have those skills. Um, and then they, they merged with another courier company one stage as well. And that guy was very good with managing people and building teams. So here you have this amazing team of people. But I was going home each night going, wow, this business has grown to $10 million a year and it's all because of me. Mm. Yeah, I played a part in it, no doubt about it. Like I made sure customers were happy. I made sure drivers were happy. I made sure we had the team to do the work. I made sure that we didn't let customers down, but I didn't do, you know, two thirds or three three quarters of what had to be done to make that business successful. Mm. And so when I left, I thought I had, I was 10 foot tall. I was bulletproof, you know, like I thought there was nothing else I needed to learn. And um, boy, boy, oh boy, was I wrong. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, my own experience was similar. And I think that when I look back in hindsight, one of the things that I didn't appreciate at the time was as an owner, there is a whole heap of other nuanced stresses and drivers and, and things that as an employee, it just doesn't touch you. So you say within mm-hmm. my, my box of, responsibility. I do it really well. I deliver great results, but then I go home. Whereas uh, as the owner they've you know, they've got so much else going on behind the scenes that uh, uh, only now as an owner, I look back and, and I really appreciate um, uh, the people that I've worked for before, because um, I, at the time I had no idea. 
Yeah, yeah. And I think that's that's not uncommon for people mm. that move from employment into owning their own business. Mm. I mean, I've obviously seen a lot of people in business that have come from that space. Uh, but it is it is difficult when you're really good at what you do. And I guess that's what we were talking about earlier. That's a challenge for so many people. Mm. I mean, I remember... I would not go more than 12 weeks without a really good job offer from another transport company because I was good at what I did and people in the, it's just, it's not a big industry, right? Mm. So people got to know that. And then I would go to my boss and say, look, such and such has rang me. They've offered this and he would just pay me more money. I got to the point where I was earning more at 24 than most adults. Well, when I say adults, most, you know, much, much older adults would in professions. Mm. Uh, and, and I think that went to my head in the end, you know, like, mm. <laughs> well, I know it did definitely did. <laughs> so anyway, you started your business and, uh, and so, uh, you know, uh, obviously you ran that for a while and then decided, you know, mm. at some point in the future that, uh, there were other things calling to you. Yeah. Look, what, what happened was I was in that business for four years and, and for anyone listening that's involved in the transport game, you would know that you start before the first business opens and you finish way after the last one shuts. Mm. So your, your, your working hours are ridiculous. There's not a lot of profit in it. Um, you know, it's a, it's a very skinny margin business. So you need good turnover and really good efficient management of funds to be able to make good money out of transport. And, it, you know, I think the other part, which you would understand is then the relationships between myself and the two, my, it was my father-in-law and my wife's cousin we're in business with started to really deteriorate as well mm. because of the way that, things were being run. And mm -hmm. I always felt like I worked for someone else. I never felt like it was my business uh, mm -hmm. towards the end. And it got to the point where I was making up appointments just to go out of the office. Like I'd wow. be in the office, oh, I've got to meet with such and such just mm -hmm. because, and I was, I didn't realize it back then. I wasn't, we weren't as well educated about depression. And, um, but I definitely was suffering from depression back there. I had, I had all sorts of weird thoughts running through my head, but it got to a point where I just knew I had to make a change. Now I'd met, and I didn't, th my change wasn't thinking about getting out of that business. It was about changing the business because it wasn't doing what it needed to do. We weren't making enough money out of it and we we're working really hard. And I met a guy at a networking breakfast and he was a business coach. And I don't know if you've ever been to those networking events where they stand up and have like a 60 seconds about me sort of thing. I've been to too many of them. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, this guy didn't take 60 seconds. He just stood up and he said, my name's Andrew. I'm a business coach. I help business owners make more money and work less hours. And he sat down. Mm. And that was the two very problems that I had. We were working crazy hours and we weren't making enough money. Mm. And so I straight away said to him, I need to talk to you. And anyway, uh, cut a long story short, I went back to my business partners at the time and they didn't want a bar of it. So it never happened. And that was about six months before leaving. But when I finally got out of that game, one, I just decided one day that's enough. And I went in one morning, so that's, I'm out of here. I'm not going to continue. And I pretty much left straight away. I, I just was, was, it was, it was hard on my relationship with my wife, which of course was my business partner's daughter. Mm -hmm. uh, it was also difficult on our relationship and, and myself, I wasn't happy. So I just, I just was, I, I let it go too far, which I think a lot of people do in those situations. But I said, you know what, I'm just going to go and I'm going to go and do something else. And they couldn't afford to buy me out. They had to pay me off over a, a long period of time, which they did. So I'm mm. grateful for that. Uh, so I had to then work out what am I going to do? I didn't want to get another job. So I went, and, uh, I went and saw this guy that was a coach. I said, how do I do what you do? And he told me about the franchise he was a part of and I loved it. So I went to mum and dad and said, can I borrow some money? Mum and dad were great and, and helped me out. They lent me the money. 
Mm-hmm. And before I knew it, I was uh, I was helping other people in their business. I, not that I knew enough about growing business. My first two years were probably I, I probably <laughs> shouldn't have worked with anybody, mm-hmm. uh, but I but I was in that industry straight up, you know. And and I think for me that was the the change, and I've and I've loved it ever since. I really love what we do. I love seeing the results that we get, and I think that that that's been my calling. If you, I know it sounds a bit you know uh, wishy washy, but it's but I think it's my calling. I love helping people. Mm. It's interesting because, uh, you know, in the space that I work, uh, I deal with a lot of very senior executives who reach a point in their career where they think, oh, I wouldn't mind doing something different or alternatively, mm. they're, they're made redundant. And they think, oh, I'd like to help businesses. You know, I'd like to become a business coach. And uh, whether they go out and do it, you know, under their own brand and their own IP or whether they join um, uh, you know an organization that has scale but I think that what a lot of them fail to realize is that um, one of the the critical things is you've got to actually win clients to coach and uh, mm-hmm. you know that ability to uh, be able to uh, position yourself as a trusted advisor and, and gain the confidence of people who will then pay you money to coach them it's not easy is it no, that, I think that's the biggest challenge. Like if you if you look at the industry as a whole, I think the biggest reason people aren't successful is not because they can't coach people, it's because they can't get clients that uh, feel confident that they can help them. Mm. And it's always, my sales and marketing has always been my strength. So I was actually a terrible coach in the beginning. I won't say I was terrible. I wasn't the greatest coach in the beginning um, because I didn't have a good enough understanding of a business in its entirety. Because once again, when I had my own transport company, I didn't manage the financial side. So that's always been my weakness. Mm -hmm. So when I started as a coach, I would just push uh, marketing and sales, which everyone loved because that's what they felt like they needed. But I didn't help them systemize their business and I didn't help them make sure they were profitable. So in, inevitably, every client I had would stop because they just got working so hard, they'd burn out because right. we, I was good at the marketing. Yep. Um, but that, that led me then to be, build a great coaching business because I was great at sales and marketing. I then started to approach other franchisees that weren't great at it, that were suffering because they didn't have enough clients. And I said to them, you know what? I'll bring clients on. I'll keep half. You keep half. So you don't have to worry about doing the sales side. Mm. I don't have to worry about doing the delivery side. And Mm. Shazam, all of a sudden we have a team of people, Mm -hmm. multi-million dollar coaching business. And, you know, in the end I partnered with another guy that was also a franchisee and we were the number one office out of 1200 offices in 61 countries for nine years running. So we, you know, we really... Um, revolution. I feel like we revolutionised what that that uh, industry was doing and how we operated. Mm. Um, you know, and, and bringing on more clients in a month than, than a lot of coaches do in their lifetime career of being a coach. Wow! And so, what do you think was some of the key strategies you used to be able to achieve that? So the, 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 the biggest thing is I, I like hunting. I call it hunting and farming in business. So when it comes yeah. to marketing. Um, the farming is the easy and comfortable stuff. So writing blog posts, going to networking events, putting stuff up on, on social media, uh, you know, putting an ad in the paper, all of that stuff is very easy to do and within people's comfort zones. I love doing the stuff that people hate doing. Getting on, So when I first started, I remember the franchise all ringing me up going, what are you doing? I was only three months in. And I was like the number one in the state or number two in the state, second to one guy who was mentoring me slightly. Uh, you know, uh, without, well, not, not officially, but was, was uh, talking to me. And I said, I'm just doing what you told me to do. I'm doing 50 calls a day. I'm doing my five appointments a week and I'm signing up clients. Mm. And, you know, the only difference was that I was doing the 50 calls a day. No one was doing 50 cold calls a day. I, I, I mean, back in the days then, we had the Yellow Pages book. 
I was just ringing everybody that had a, had a, uh, a an advertisement that was like a, a picture or like, you know, like a display ad. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And knowing they had the money to buy a display ad, they could probably pay me. I just rang every single person in the Yellow Pages. And that's mm. all I did. Mm. And so I think my skill has always been dumbing things down and go, let's just do it as simple as possible. And even today, we have telemarketers in our business and it's one of the most effective strategies. Sure, we use social media. Yes, we use email blasts and we use direct mail. We use, we use all of those other things. Uh, our, our website is ranked really well with Google, so we get a lot of incoming leads on our website. But even those people still have to be telemarketed to get a result. So they download something for free. We still call them and we convince them to meet with us. Yeah. And I think that's always been the most powerful strategy is that. And it used to be seminars. Seminars are not working as well now because people don't want to go to events um, like they used to. But, uh, but now it's, it's still telemarketing. That's still what it is. We still just ring people and have a, have a conversation. Yeah, look, I think, you know, sales is sales and, and it's about knowing your numbers. I, if I want one new client, I need to submit four proposals. If I want to submit four proposals, I need to have 16 meetings. If I want to have 16 meetings, I need to make 52 calls or whatever. And uh, and my yeah, own experience yeah. of, uh, I, I don't coach business owners, but certainly I, um, you know, I... Uh, I, uh, you know, I hang out with them and, and I think that there's so many people in business who love to do what you call the, um, the farming work. Uh, mm. and they have this massive reticence to, you know, get out and, and push what they do. And yet the reality is that if they believe in what they have to offer the market, then they should be delighted to shout about it because people want it. They just, they can't buy it if they don't know about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you're right. I mean, the way I get people over that is I say, cause it's just call resistance, right? And mm. I say to people, well, what is your, what's the value of your meeting with someone? And, mm. I, and regardless of whether or not you bring that person on a client, there's always value to that meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and your, and your time's worth something. So I don't know for someone like you, Richard, you meeting with somebody might be worth a few hundred dollars, for example, mm-hmm. uh, because you're giving up your time and you're giving them some knowledge, even if they don't engage your services. Mm. So then I say to them, well, if I told you to ring 10 people, cold call 10 people and give those 10 people $300 each, could you do it? Mm. And the answer is always, well, of course I could. Who couldn't ring 10 people and give them $300 each? That'd be easy. And then they go, aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, people overcomplicate this stuff. It's just a conversation for goodness sakes. And, mm. and the worst thing can happen is they'll tell you to F off or, you know, hang up on you. That's the worst thing that'll happen. Yeah. Uh, they're not going to run down the street to you and, and stick a knife in your back. They're not going yeah. to, they're not going to come and kill you. They're just going to hang up on you and then you just ring the next one. Yep. And so I, I think that's the, the, the thing that I've learned is that most people have this core resistance and it's a self fabricated uh, disaster happening in their head. That's never going to happen. Mm. And I see exactly the same thing. Mm. You know, a senior executive is looking for a new job, but the idea of ringing a potential employer of choice in asking for a meeting is just, I can't do that. You know, what if they don't want to meet with me and uh, exactly the same thing? Well, if they don't, you just ring the next one. So, uh, uh, you know, different orientation, but largely the same message. Mm. So when, when mm. you um, look at your client base now, what would you say are some of the, uh, you know, the recurring challenges that they have? Um, and also what are perhaps some of the unique challenges that different types of businesses have? Yeah, so the most most common challenges we see is cash flow. So it, 
people will have an operated business and they, for whatever reason, aren't managing their cash very well and they find it difficult to service their debts. Mm -hmm. So whether it's paying wages, the tax department, rent, et cetera. So that's probably the number one thing we see. And that, that stems from many problems. Sometimes it can be efficiency. Sometimes it can be, you know, to cost basis too high. Sometimes it can be that we don't, we don't have enough margin in what we're selling. So we, we go in and we help them fix that up pretty quickly because, of mm. course, we want to be paid. So we don't want them to have a cash flow issue. Sure. Um, an, another issue that we find that's quite common then is around team. So a lot of people know they need to employ people to leverage their time, mm. but they struggle with understanding how to hire the right people particularly in the sales and marketing fields, if they're not good sales and marketers, mm -hmm. uh, um, they'll struggle with hiring those people. So we find people struggle with that. And then the next struggle they have once they do hire somebody, and you would be able to relate to this being in the game you're in, is they're managing that person to get the best out of them. Yeah. Uh, so we've, so we find that's a big challenge for people. Mm -hmm. And then I'd say the, th the third challenge that we see that's common in every business is then getting dragged into the business. And this is that whole... Uh, problem of being good at what you do mm. so you end up working in the business instead of on the business and if no one's working on the business then nothing's going to improve so mm. it's a really it's i guess it's a time management thing where mm. we help people identify the best use of their time and you know i think the challenge is it's, it goes back to cash flow is whilst you've got cash flow issues you're tempted to do the work because you get instantly paid for that mm. is where the work you do working on your business you don't get paid for it until somewhere down the track so mm. they're forced to work in their business and by the time they're done for the day they're too tired to do anything else so mm. that, that's probably the most common it sounds like you're sitting uh, in my office watching me <laughs> <laughs> well you're just a business owner right i don't um, think i don't suffer from some of these issues as well right sure. i teach this stuff well they say uh, plumbers think, have the worst pipes <laughs> the leak is taps yeah. yeah um i mean if you i mean at least i know uh yeah that the problem exists that I'm working on. A lot of people don't even know the problem exists. They're just, they're in trouble. Mm. Um, as, for, as for specific issues, I think every industry has its own little nuances. Uh, but trade businesses or service businesses are probably the worst offenders for the, the technical people working in the business. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so if you're in a trade business or services business, professional services, no matter what, there's a likelihood that you're good at what you do and that's why you started your business. Yeah. Or if you're thinking about starting your own business, that's the risk. For me, if, if I was a plumber, I'd start a hairdressing business, you know, because right. then I couldn't cut hair. Right. If I was a hairdresser, I'd start a plumbing business. Mm. Like if, you, if you've got an aspiration to start a business, don't do it with something you're really good at mm. unless you're prepared to, to, to fight those demons of, of wanting mm. to do the work pretty gutsy move though isn't it you know for somebody i mean i i get the you know the guy who's been a public servant for 40 years and says i'm getting a big payout i'm going to go and buy a donut king you know because they think that it's easy they just followed bouncing ball and mm. away you go but the hairdresser they're starting a plumbing business or you know really going away from their core um skills i mean to to have the tenacity and the, the self-confidence to be able to do that there'd be very few people you know that would uh, i imagine be prepared to take that risk Absolutely, yeah. I think that uh, I mean I've had two hair salons in my lifetime, and they uh, I'm not a hairdresser, and they were very right. hard businesses to run because I didn't understand the mechanics of them. So there, it does have its downside. Right. I guess I use that analogy. I I think um, you know if you're going to go into business and you are a hairdresser starting a hairdressing salon, make sure your business plan is built in such a way that you're not on the tools five days a week or six days a week because 
it, you know, you need to leave some time to be the manager of the business. You yeah. have to, mm. so, someone has to do that stuff. And if, mm. if, if you're not doing it, no one is. And that's mm. when people get into trouble. Mm. And so uh, have you found that a lot of the IP that you are sharing with your clients is uh, IP that you've generated over your own experience or um, uh, how have you built your toolkit um, as a business coach? I, I think a lot of it has come from experience and some of it is just general available stuff. You know, no, nothing we do is rocket science. And I think that's, really important for people to understand that it's not rocket science. So a lot of the tools and resources that we give to our clients are just things that we've found work over the years and we've organized it. Sure. We've developed some of it as our own intellectual property. We do have our own five stage business growth system, mm -hmm. which enables us to quickly identify what areas of your business needs to be fixed. But when we identify those areas, the tools we give you are typically not stuff I've created. It's just things that I've found and I know they work really well. It could have been from reading a book. I might've read a book. Maybe I went and did a course, for example. Uh, maybe uh, it could have been a client developed something and went, wow, that's really good. Can I use that? And they go, yep. And so, you know, uh, the other thing is I've done, which is quite different. That's why I don't like being titled a business coach because um, we've trademarked the word accelerator, which is spelt uh, E-X-C-E-L. So accelerator. Oh yeah. Um, business and business acceleration because mm. what we do is we help you excel in your business faster. Um, mm. you, you know, typically the, uh, we're not, we're sure we hold you accountable and we're coaching you, but we have so many other parts to our business. Mm. And I'm that's what I'm most proud of is that we don't try and be the expert in everything. And a lot of business coaches fall into that trap. I did in the beginning where a client asks you something, you know, nothing about, and you feel compelled to, to answer and pretend you know about it or try and find the answer and, and deliver it rather than, going to an expert. So we have a panel of trusted partners. We have 22 other people in our business that are experts in their field. So we don't have to pretend to know something. We don't have to stay across, for example, Facebook marketing or recruitment or um, you know, legislation around um, you know, terms and conditions, all of those things that are important for businesses. We have experts that we can then say, talk to that person, mm -hmm. uh, which makes it easy for them. It also makes it easy for us and we get better results because what we're doing now is instead of coaching all the time through stuff that we may not understand, we're just guiding them through the process. Mm. And uh, the blueprint gives my team an easy way to follow a step-by-step -step process mm -hmm. and identify. It doesn't mean it's, it, it goes to plan every time. It never does, but it gives them a guide. Mm. And how do you see, you know, uh, changes in technology, uh, affecting the way that you coach your clients, but also um, are affecting your clients' businesses. I mean, with the, uh, the substantive growth in artificial intelligence and um, uh, automation and these kind of things, what, what do you see as some of the trends and, and, and potential for the future? Yeah, I think um, it, is, it has a huge effect on the future for business and business needs to keep an eye on it. I mean, we've already seen some big industries be disrupted by technology. Um, artificial intelligence doesn't do empathy. So I think any industry where uh, empathy and understanding is required and problem solving mm. is required at a, at, for, from a human point of view, I don't think AI is going to be able to do that for a little while. I might be wrong, but mm. that's, that's what I'm thinking. Um, but for us now, I mean, we've definitely seen a big shift in how we work with our clients. We've got clients all over Australia and New Zealand and uh, we use uh, online conferencing platforms like zoom to be able to do it mm -hmm. and it, they feel like they're in the same room with us so it's very mm -hmm. easy mm -hmm. um, you know with accounting software these days everything's online so it's easy for us to access numbers kpis 
our entire trading system now is online. Years ago when I started my business, I built a big training facility with a room that held 120 people's theater style. And we run, we would run training in there several times a week and people would come to us. Uh, we don't have that anymore. We've put all that training online, which means that people can learn at their own pace in their own time. Mm. Um, so it's, it's made that easier. We've got over 700 resources. Instead of asking their accelerator now, I need a, a tool for this. They go online and it's very easy for them to be able to find it on our hub. We call mm -hmm. it our business acceleration hub. Mm -hmm. And they go on there and they download the tools that, and resources they need. So I think, um, and that's, that means we can deliver a more competitive service too, because I think people are, uh, are wanting to pay less and get more. I think that's pretty normal. Mm -hmm. We see this with Uber. We mm -hmm. see it with, uh, with Airbnb. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm continuing to scale my business to deliver that. And, um, and I think that any business needs to be looking at how is technology going to affect their industry in the, in the year to come and, and work out how to adapt. Mm. There are some things, like we mentioned hairdressing before, it's going to be a while before you be able to get a haircut on the internet, but it's coming. <laughs> you'll just uh, 3D print your hair. So uh, you'll be bald and you'll say, yeah. what kind of hairstyle do I want today? <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Yeah, that's it. It'll happen. <laughs> oh, for sure. Uh, and so when you look to, you know, the future in terms of not only your own business, but the, the, uh, the um, business coaching, business advising space in general, you know, what are some of the things that you're excited about? For me, I would like to see regulation and I know that'll make a lot of people cringe, but there's a lot of people out there that are, have done the wrong thing, not given the right advice. And a lot of people come from a point of desperation. So if you're an individual and, and I've seen a lot of this where individual coaches will take on clients that they, they shouldn't be taking on. And, and some people don't make good clients, by the way, they're not ready for coaching or for help. And some people don't make good coaches. Um, so I think some regulation would be good. I think that's exciting. I think the other thing is that technology is bringing, um, you know, people from further away closer to us. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, we could, we, we could be in, you know, opposite ends of the world, Richard, and still have this conversation. So to me, I think that technology is going to shape the way that any advisory business operates. Mm -hmm. And I think that the coaching industry, um, you know, itself is still a growth industry despite the the fact that there has been a lot of people that have probably been not serviced at the level they want. Mm. I think part of the problem is that they're, they're sometimes in coaching, it's like joining the gym saying, you know, I went to that, that gym's no good. I went to that gym and I didn't lose any weight and I didn't get fit. Yeah. Um, now most people would say, well, you're stupid. You know, that's a gym. Of course that's, they've got the gear there. If you didn't do the workout, you didn't get fit. Mm. Well, well, coaching's the same. A lot of people say I went to that business coach and I didn't get any results. It's not always the coach. Let me tell you. <laughs> I would say that in the vast majority of instances, it's not at all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, I think from my own experience in having both had personal coaching and uh, business coaching throughout my career, uh, the accountability mm. is a massive part of it. Uh, uh, you agree to achieve uh, certain outcomes before your next coaching session or whatever it might be. And, and if you don't do them, there's not much the coach can do to help you. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, that works in all aspects of our life. You know, we're, right now I've got a health coach. So every day in the mornings, I've got to report what I ate yesterday and how many steps I did. Okay. You know, and that I guarantee that if I wasn't doing that, mm. I wouldn't be as strict and as on, you know, on task as I am. Yeah. So, you know, I think that we can take a lot of lessons from that. Accountability mm. is something that as human beings, we, we actually enjoy and welcome into our lives just in different ways. Mm. What do they say? What uh, gets measured gets done. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. which is why KPIs are so important. For sure. And so, look, uh, being conscious of time, I'm just interested in learning a little bit more about why you chose to start a podcast and, uh, and how that has uh, impacted your business. Yeah, so the podcast, my podcast, which is Business Brain Food, was started a little over four years ago, and it was my second go at doing it. I don't know how many goes you had, but <laughs> I, um, I started many years ago, and it was really clunky. It was really hard to do. I think I did maybe nine episodes and then gave up, and I think they call it pod, pod fading. I think that's right. the term. Okay. Uh, and then about uh, four and a half, five years ago, I, I listened to a lot of podcasts and I thought to myself, you know what, there's nobody in Australia uh, besides uh, Timbo Reid who was doing yeah. a great job with his business podcast at the time, but his was very marketing focused. I thought there's no one in Australia that is really doing this business podcast thing consistently in a way where I was planning on doing it. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to create one and that way... I can have this other unique content that no one else is doing, you know, and, and, I, and I thought, you know, podcasting is going to take off. They're, they're putting it, um, you know, Apple CarPlay into cars and, and, and we have seen listenership go up, but it hasn't as grown at the level that I wanted. Mm. And there's been several times where I've questioned it, Richard, I've got to be honest, where I go, should I keep doing this? But mm. the one thing that it does for me is, is, well, no, it's more than one thing, but the one main thing though is that it keeps me connected with all of my clients mm. um, because we've got hundreds of clients. And when I was an individual, it was easy because I, I spoke to them every week. When you've got hundreds of clients, it's more difficult. And this is a way for me to continually provide value and content for my clients and, and feel like I'm able to communicate. And they all, they love it. You know, they come back to me and say, oh, I listened to that episode. It really helped me. Mm. Um, it's also become a good lead generator. So, you know, we do get leads from it. It does help with our sales conversions. So not only is it helping our clients, it helps that. And I meet amazing people like you. You know, I've, I've met so many amazing people because I've interviewed them and they've enjoyed the process. And then we've gone on to do other things together. Mm, absolutely. Uh, I couldn't agree more with that. And I suppose, mm. you know, one of the ways that I utilize mine is if I'm having challenges in getting access to a CEO, for example, to talk about what I do, to invite them on my podcast is mm. uh, a great way of, you know, they're excited. It's a bit of an ego boost, but they want to share their story. And after I sit in a room with them for an hour and, you know, we've built a rapport, then it makes that next sales conversation you know, so much easier. So, um, and like you, you know, I learn so much from the people that I talk to and I just find it so much fun. You know, it's probably the most fun part of the work that I do. If I could be paid <laughs> like, if I could be paid like Mark Marin or, uh, Joe Rogan or one of those guys to, uh, to podcast full time. I think I'd do it in a heartbeat. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah. And so, uh, before we wrap it up, uh, because I appreciate you're a very busy man, tell us a little bit about, you know, Ben, when he's not at work, what are the things that you enjoy doing, uh, travel and, and so on. Very passionate photographer. Okay. Uh, so I, I have a, a quite a big online presence. Right. If anyone's into landscape photography, go and find me at uh, on3legs.com. Okay. Just think about a tripod. That's great. Um, and so I, I'm out taking photos once, twice, three times a week. Mm. Pretty, pretty, pretty regularly. Love my love. And I think it's, you know, when people ask me to sum myself up in two words, the two words are adventurous creator. I love adventure and I love creating okay. stuff. Right. And so, yeah, that's, that's probably my biggest hobby. Are you old school in terms of the gear you use or are you right up with the new sort of advances in photography? 
You know, I fought it for a while. I had an old Hasselblad film camera. I sold it a few years ago. I love the new stuff. <laughs> I love it. I love uh, anyone that knows me. I, I love my gadgets. You know, okay. give me a gadget and I'll buy, I'll buy it. You know, right. I'm, I'm an early adopter. <laughs> Bring it on. You, I think you asked me uh, on your podcast, what was my favorite new app? And I said, uh, the thing that tells me the temperature of the food on my barbecue, what's yours? <laughs> So my favorite app at the moment is called my net diary. That's because I'm <laughs> keeping score of everything I'm eating. Um, but if I looked at my most used app on my phone, sadly it would be Facebook. Um, really? But I run a Yeah. I run a Facebook group for uh, my, I've got a group of photographers right. um, and, and there's a lot of photography groups I'm a part of. And the other thing that I use a lot, I, I think if I look at my top apps, my next one would probably be the podcast app or YouTube because I, do, I consume an awfully large amount of content on, uh, on my phone. Well, mine is definitely Kindle. Uh, you know, I do all my reading on my phone now. I can't remember the last time I actually read mm. a physical book in my hands. It's, uh, and then I, you know, it says to me at the end of the week, Richard, you've been on your Kindle for 14.7 hours or whatever. You think, <laughs> well, where did all that time go? Well, look, uh, Ben, I, I really appreciate uh, the opportunity to have a chat to you today. And I know that within my community, there's probably many, many people who would be interested in having a chat to you about how they could potentially uh, become part of Max My Profit from a, a coaching perspective. Um, what's the best way for people to make that inquiry? Yeah, just head to maxmyprofit.com.au mm-hmm. and on the about tab, there's a section which is about becoming a business accelerator and it'll sort of explain about the type of person that we're looking for mm-hmm. uh, and because we're not looking for someone who wants to build a big business, but we're looking for people who want to work for themselves by working with us. Yeah. So, you know, we're pretty particular about that. We, you know, you're not going to build a huge empire with your, you know, a team of employees in our model. Our model we've built is to assist people to be able to get that freedom and flexibility of working for themselves, but with the security of having the systems behind them to back them up and the sales and marketing support, because that's, that doesn't exist in our industry that I know of anywhere uh, for a franchisee. So we're really making it simple. Uh, so they can so they can grow that way. So yeah, maximumprofit.com.au. They can learn about it all there. Great, and obviously uh, uh, business owners or entrepreneurs that are interested uh, in engaging with you, I'll mm. make sure I put all of the uh, the relevant details uh, in the show notes, including a link to your podcast and so on. But uh, uh, is there anything else, Ben, you're hoping to talk about today that we didn't cover off? No, I think you've done a great job. I've really enjoyed it, and uh, yeah, it's been a very enjoyable chat. And I think. Um, you know, people will get a lot out of it. I think I always get a lot out of listening to conversations like this, so hopefully everyone does. Good. All right. Well, Ben, uh, thanks again and have a fantastic afternoon. Thank you, mate. Cheers. Okay. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Arate Podcast with Richard Treeks. For show notes and other resources, please visit aratepodcast.com. While you are there, you can subscribe for future episodes so you can continue your own journey towards realizing your full potential as a senior executive. And please be sure to share this and other episodes with your friends and colleagues. The Arate Podcast is brought to you by the Experts On Air Podcast Network.